All right, bring it in, bring it in. A couple things before we get into the sermon this morning. Uh, really just, yeah, two things. One, um, I just really wanted to say thank you to all of the sound audio-visual people. Um, you all have heard the strides that we've made every Sunday with our sound system, and I know we're still tweaking stuff and all that, but that's, that's happening because there's an insane amount of work that goes on every single week and has for the past seven months of guys in here wiring, we rewiring, tweaking, doing all kinds of stuff. And so I'm not going to name everyone because I'll leave someone out, but to the sound guys in the back, the, the guys learning slides and the worship team, thank you. It is not, uh, it is not lost on us. We appreciate you. Yeah. And real quick, uh, before we, we get into it, I want to pray. I want to pray specifically for our farmers and the drought that we're experiencing. I woke up this morning and it's, it's dry. And so I feel for, I feel for you guys. Um, and uh, we, we serve a God that when we pray, he can open the clouds and, and send the rain. So I want to do that. Let's do that together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for the men and the women who serve here, who, who just give of their time to, to wire and to hang lights and sound and, and all of that stuff, Lord. The countless hours that have just happened and been, been put in by so many people. Thank you for this church, the generosity that, that they all have to give, not just of, of their finances, Lord, but to give of their time and of the ways that God has gifted them. Uh, we appreciate them, and I know you appreciate all of the things that are done in your name. Also, Lord, we want to lift up our farmers and uh, just the weather. Uh, I know it's really dry and the crops are really struggling. I thank you that you're the God who sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And we'd ask that you would send us uh, a couple showers here in the next couple weeks. Uh, give us a good, good drench and, and just pray that you'd sustain our crops. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, that was some housekeeping stuff. Now... We'll get into the message. As I was prepping the sermon this week, there was a verse that I'd committed to memory and, uh, from, in high school. When I memorize verses, I almost never remem- remember the spot. So I usually have to like type it into Google what I remember, right? So I remembered. I'm prepping, and I remembered the, the man, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. I knew it was in Proverbs, but I couldn't remember it. So I typed it into Google. I found Proverbs 16, 9. Proverbs 16, 9. I just love this verse. A, man, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This verse describes for us what Christians should be doing. How we should be living. And I chose those words very intentionally. That is what we should do. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times we don't end up doing this, right? We, we don't end up making plans. We fail to make plans to plan our way in regards to our faith. Again, I'm not saying this to shame anyone in here this morning. Our God does not shame us. That's not, that's not my heart in this, but I think if we're honest, a lot of days, life has a really funny way of distracting us from our faith and from our calling that Jesus has placed on each and every one of our lives. Right? We've been studying the book of Romans now for over nine months, and hopefully the truth and the person of Jesus has gripped your heart in a new and fresh way through our studies. Romans has told us time and time again in many different and I think very beautiful ways that we can be saved by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus. 
That's the good news. The bad news is, if you remember way back about in September, in Romans 1 and Romans 2, the bad news is you and I are all in the same sinking boat of sin. We're all in the same boat, and it is sinking. But the good news of the gospel is that God extends to us a rescue line, a lifeline, that we can be saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus when we express that faith. And when we first come to a saving knowledge of this truth, we don't really need to plan a whole lot because we're super pumped. We're excited. We're zealous. We're ready, we're ready to you know, tackle the world, to take over. And, right? we, one of our elders shared with me when he was in high school his, his conversion experience. Literally, he said, I saw beautiful colors in my bedroom as I accepted Christ. He said it was like seeing in black and white and then seeing a vision of, of beautiful colors. That's what it's like when we are first gripped by the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We were seeing in black and white and then we experienced the love of Jesus in a new way and he lights a fire on our backside side, sort of and we're, we're ready to go, right? We see the, the world in color. IMAX, mega, 4K, HD, right? But then what happens? Then what happens? Life happens. The Bible tells us what happens. I love the Bible. In Ezekiel 28, in Deuteronomy 8, we discover what happens to us is the same things that happens to everyone. You see, the Bible, it doesn't just tell us history, what happened. It tells us what always happens. And we see what happened to the Israelites, and we see what what can happen to us. The Israelites, we, we experience success. They experience success. They took the promised land, and then what? They grew comfortable. They grew secure, and then they began to forget God. And as they progressed down their forgetfulness, eventually they became disobedient to him. In Deuteronomy, we're told that their bellies were filled with good food, like ours. They built homes, good homes. They lived in them. Their possessions, our possessions, multiply. Our wealth increased like theirs, and then they forgot the Lord their God. You see, success is a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. Success can inflate our pride and quietly derail our focus from God and the purpose and calling that he puts onto our lives. Success is not the only thing that does that. Everything that comes along with success, security, comfort, busyness, it all distracts us. I plugged a book last week that if you haven't picked up, I actually bought 10 copies. They're not here yet. So if you're really interested, I'll hook you up. Gospel Patrons. John Reinhardt says in his book, he says, our, our flesh, the world, and the devil war against a life aimed at eternity. They war against a life aimed at eternity. The world, the flesh, the devil war against us living a prayerfully focused and planned life in Jesus. Again, many times we start out on fire for Jesus, ready to change the world, because we've been so gripped by him and the truth of what he has done for us. But if we're not careful, we can begin to lose focus in our lives. We can get sidetracked. As Jesus says in that great parable of the seeds, the worries and cares of this life come in, And put us in a chokehold. They suffocate us. Sideline us in our faith. And make us unable, incapable of living life that is eternally meaningful. Eternally fruitful. 
Again, from John Reinhardt and Gospel Patrons. One day we're fired up for the right things. The next day we're distracted with secondary causes. Other passions. Lesser things. Work gets all-consuming. It's a busy season at home. It's summertime. We get run down. We get weary and we coast in our pursuit of Jesus. We think, I know Jesus or at least I know all I need to know to cover my bases. We get stuck in autopilot. Just taking life as it comes to us rather than taking life by the horns and submitting all of it to Christ in faith with prayerful planning. And because of that, because of our failure to live a prayerfully focused planned life in Jesus. Many times we drift, we get sidetracked and sidelined, and we are prevented from living a life that is eternally meaningful, significant, and fruitful. I hope you remember from last week that you were chosen. You were chosen. And I hope you remember from last week the why. Why did God choose you? You've not been chosen just to rest and relax and retire. You have been chosen, picked to be a star player on Team Jesus. You have been chosen to live out a, a life that is eternally meaningful and fruitful. God has a purpose for you here and now. Again, Reinhardt and Gospel Patrons, he says the Bible is clear. We are not saved only to relax, retire, and wait for heaven. No. You and I have been chosen for a purpose. We've been chosen by grace through faith alone, but our faith is never meant to remain alone. God says, I've chosen you for good works. Predestined before the foundations of the world, I chose to save you to do my good work. After God saves us, church, he intends to use us in his work on the earth. I love this metaphor. Again, it's from Gospel Patrons. He says, you see, Jesus adopts us and then he invites us to serve in the family business. Some of y'all are second, maybe third generation in a family business. Do you know that by the third generation of many family businesses, do you know what happens? They say it's right around the the third generation. Yeah, so someone go like this. Yeah, they fail. Many of them fail. Do you know why? Because Junior gets comfortable with the success and forgets what it took to be successful. Family businesses are built and maintained with serious effort, focus, planning, and work. Autopilot will not do it. It does not cut it. So too, in the family business of God, You and I cannot afford to go on autopilot in our faith. We cannot expect to go on autopilot and expect to become the kind of people that God uses to change the world. It will not do. No, you and I need a prayerfully focused plan to help the lost get found and the found live free. This plan needs to be thought out in our marriages in our families, in our workplaces, and in our communities. You and I need a prayerfully focused plan to live an eternally meaningful life in Christ. We get this in other areas of our lives, don't we? Athletes, 
They get this. You listen to any NFL athlete, they talk about the kind of plan and regimen they have. They have a plan for their nutrition. They have a plan for their workout. They have a plan for their finances. They have all kinds of plans. Athletes get it. They devote serious effort in order to win and achieve their goals. Farmers do the same thing. Every single year, they have a plan, focused plan, in order to harvest a big crop. Soldiers plan and devote serious effort in order to prepare for and win battles. Why would it be any different for us in our faith? If you're in Jesus this morning, you've been called. You've been chosen. You've been called to help the lost get found and the found live free. We've been called to seek God's kingdom first and above all else. We've been called to plan for and prepare to plan for and to prepare to expend serious effort in the advancement of God's kingdom. So, are you? Is your life shaped by a prayerfully focused plan to expend serious effort advancing Christ's kingdom? Or have you been sidetracked? Have you been sidetracked in autopilot, left focusing on Maybe good things, but secondary things, not God things. Now I realize, I can feel it a little bit, it's a little heavy. We'll, we'll lighten it up, give me a second. I realize this is a mixed bag for all of us every day. I also know it's really hard to stay focused, aiming at the target we're supposed to be driving towards, right? It's hard Because our flesh, the world, and the devil are in a war against us living a life that is aimed at eternity. Everything is set against this goal for you and I. All the more reason why we cannot afford to go into autopilot and expect to become the kind of people that God uses to change the world. Instead, as Reinhardt again says in Gospel Patron, we need to refuel our fire every week. We need to refocus our passions every day. We need to remind ourselves often of Jesus and what he has done for us. Stoke the fire, rekindle the fire, remembering what Christ has done for us in his pursuit of us. And to do this well, we need a prayerfully focused plan. Just like Paul in Romans 15, starting in verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. Before we read this, and I'll walk through what kind of things you and I need to be planning for in our lives, I don't want to assume the very first part. We can't assume it, right? We can't assume the first part. All the planning you might do will be worthless unless you know Jesus first and foremost. We can never assume this. If your planning isn't guided and directed by Christ and his kingdom, it will be worthless. And you're not going to want to do any of this unless you know Jesus personally in a way that you know you can trust him. Because he's going to call you into some uncomfortable areas in your planning and in your execution of that plan. And if you don't know him enough to trust him, you're not going to do it. And so first, before we, get, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, before you start making a plan, I want you to first plan to know Jesus personally. Right? Paul, Paul was a planner before Jesus called him. But Paul's planning before he met Jesus, when he was Saul, it was a really bad plan, right? His plan was to advance his own kingdom and his own agenda by murdering Christians. He was super successful at it. 
but it was not an eternally meaningful or fruitful life. And then Jesus found him, saved him, helped him prayerfully plan out his life and refocus it. And only then, after he met Jesus, did all of his planning start to bear fruit that was going to last into eternity. So before we get off on any other foot, please hear this. Plan first to know Jesus personally. And then we can talk about all of the other stuff. And now we're going to read Romans 15, 23 through 33. And before we read it, I'm going to tell you kind of the points to look for as we read it. So in verses, uh, in, in verses 23 through 24, first you're going to see Paul made a commitment to live a prayerfully focused and planned life. To say it another way, he committed to Proverbs 16, 9. God, I'm going to plan my ways, and I'm going to trust you daily to direct my steps. So commit to live a prayerfully planned life like Paul. And then the rest of the passage helps us understand what our prayerfully focused planning should include. In verse 25, we're going to see that we should plan to serve God by serving others. Plan to serve God by serving others. In verses 26 through 27, you'll see that we should plan to trust God to provide for our plans, and we should also plan to be the how that God provides for other people. We'll keep moving. In verses 28 through 29, we're going to see that in our planning, we need to plan to have deep and meaningful partnerships and relationships in the gospel. And then 30 through 33, we need to plan to cover everything with prayer. Because living a prayerfully focused Life for Jesus is a struggle. And we cannot do it alone, and we cannot do it without God's power. And so we should plan to pray a lot. All right, you ready? Let's read it. We'll take a, a few chunks, and then I'll talk about it, all right? Romans 15, 23 through 33. We'll start in verse 23. But now, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these reasons... And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. It doesn't say it explicitly, but that assistance is financial. Okay? He's asking for some cash. That's going to be important in a second. He says, I plan to visit you and I plan to go to Spain. I plan that when you're with me, I'm passing through, that you'll assist me on my journey, and I plan to enjoy your company for a while. Okay, let's stop. As you can see, Paul lived a prayerfully planned life. He had a strategy for how to use the gifts God had given him to advance Jesus' kingdom. Paul's purpose from last week, if you remember, was to preach. That's what he said, I've been selected to be on Team Jesus, and he put me in the preacher role. He called me to preach. He gifted me to preach. And so he made that his life mission. I'm going to go where people have never heard, where people do not understand, and every decision in my life is going to be framed by that mission, by that plan. And that's exactly what he did. Who needs to hear? Where can I go next? Whose help do I need in getting there? Who can I encourage along the way? You see, Paul didn't only think of the destination. Oh, i got to go to Spain. He didn't only think of the destination. He thought of the journey as well, which is how our God thinks. 
The journey matters. How can I use every waking moment of my life to expand and encourage the kingdom of Jesus everywhere I go? And so he says, all right, I want to go to Spain. Let's get out the map. How can I plot my route? I want to redeem the car time, so to speak. I'm going to stop in Rome. I'm going to ask them for assistance. I'm going to get encouragement. I'm going to form some more gospel relationships. A buddy of mine models this for me in his own life. Occasionally I'll get a call from him. He's an older gentleman, a a mentor of mine, a pastor, crazy. Just, he's everywhere. He was just in Jordan. He's been in Africa. He's spinning up new church planning initiatives and bringing up young guys through residencies. And he's got a full calendar. And he's made it his life's commitment, not only to preach and teach, but also to do leadership development. And so he's, he's kind of brought me under his wing. But because he's so busy and on the road all the time, we don't get a lot of face time together. And so occasionally I'll get a call from him. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, oh, I'm in the car. Often. I'm in the car. I just thought I'd redeem some of my car time. That is living a prayerfully focused and planned life. Looking for any and every opportunity. You're driving in the car. Could be wasted time. Not for this guy. I'm going to redeem some car time. I'm going to check in with Levi. I'm going to check up on him. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to pray with him over the phone. Even though I can't be with him now, I've got some car time. Let's redeem it for the kingdom. That's what we're talking about here. Living a prayerfully focused and planned life. Having a target that you are aiming at. Church, if you don't have a target, you will miss your shot every single time. We cannot live our lives on autopilot and expect to become the kind of people that God uses to change our world. We need to live prayerfully focused and planned lives. Make a commitment to live in this way, like Paul, like Jesus. Verse 25. Now, however, Paul says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. See, a commitment to live a planned life is important. That's verses 23 and 24. And now, in verse 25, we start to see what kind of things we should include in our planning. Firstly, Paul, he says, plan to serve God by serving others. Folks, it is very difficult for most people to care about listening to what we have to say about Jesus until they know how much we care about them. Service to Jesus must include practical service to other people. For Paul, this meant spiritual instruction because he was a gifted theologian and preacher. That was his gift mix. That might not be yours. And so how you flesh this out might look different. How you serve others might not look like leading a discipleship group, right? There's a lady in this church who lost her husband 20 years ago or more. And one of the ways I have watched her plan to serve God by serving others is that when someone in our community has lost a spouse, she is the first person to call upon them. Like one of the first, at least first five. Even if she doesn't know them that well. She'll show up. She's got a book that she hands out. She gives them a call. Basically, she does what... Oh, I forget the passage. It's it's in there. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Google it, right? (laughs) No, it's the one where it says when we go through trials and we're comforted, we we experience it that so that we can comfort others with the comfort we've received from Jesus. 
The way that she serves God by serving other people, she went through a horribly traumatic event of losing a spouse and received comfort from Jesus during that trauma. She allowed God to heal that trauma and now it has become the greatest source of testimony and work that God uses in her life to help comfort others with the comfort she experienced. That is how she serves God, by serving others. So as you're thinking about this and you're planning Here's the type of things that you can ask. How have I been traumatized? If you allow God to heal that trauma, it can become your greatest source of testimony. You can use that and redeem that for the kingdom. You can also ask, what has God made me passionate about? How has he gifted me? There's another couple here. The wife loves to bake and cook and the husband is a social butterfly. Even though their home is filled with the craziness of little children, Their house is full with you or members from our Northwest Ohio community three to four nights a week because they've chosen to live a prayerfully planned life and said, I'm passionate about hospitality and we're going to use this for the kingdom of Jesus. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just giving these as as some examples. As you plan, plan to serve God by serving others. Verse 26. We'll not read it for the sake of time. Actually, we didn't read it yet, so we will read it. Verse 26. For Macedonia and... Oh man, I can't pronounce this. Achai? Achai? For Macedonia and Achai were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Okay, stop here for a minute. In your prayerful planning, here are two more things that you should include. First, plan for God to provide for you. Like he's providing for the Jewish Christians through those in Macedonia and the other word I can't pronounce there. The Roman province. Right? Plan for God to provide for your plans. Church, there will be times when God directs you in your planning, when he directs your steps in such a way that you will not be able to make the math work. Right When the income doesn't match the spending. In those moments, if God is directing you, trust that he will provide. I cannot tell you how many times that Rachel, my wife, and I have made a prayerful plan and I have not been able to make it work in the spreadsheet economically. I cannot tell you how many times that I felt like the Lord say, hey, do this, do that, and I can't make the math work. Now, ask me how many times I've seen God come through. Thank you. Every single time. Every single time. God's math is not our math. Economics are important, but church, in your prayerful planning, plan to trust God's provision more than your bank account. His math is not our math. And if he's calling you to it, he will provide for it. Plan to trust God and his provision 
more than your bank account. And along with this, plan to be God's provision for others who are joining you in living a planned life for Jesus. Do you know how God usually provides for his people? Through other people. If you've been blessed with gifts, prosperity, with joy, if you have been blessed, it is so that you can be a blessing to others. Plan to be generous and to be the how that God provides for others. And lastly, plan to seek out partnerships in the gospel and plan plan to pray a lot. Verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed that the the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I love this last part. Paul writes to the men and women of Rome and he calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them brothers and sisters because he knows them. He knows the spirit that lives in them. They know him. He loves them and their feeling is mutual. They are brothers and sisters, blood relatives, spiritual blood relatives in the faith. So much so that he has no problem asking them for money. Remember when we read the first part in Romans 24 there? He says, I'm going to ask you for some assistance. Right? He knows them well enough. He's close enough with them. They are fridge friends. He's got no problem asking for a little cash to help him on his journey. That's not easy asking people for money. Even people that you know well. You've got to really live life together. You've got to be true fridge friends. Right? have real relationship to be able to ask for money. Paul spent a lot of time planning and cultivating deep and meaningful friendships in the gospel. Gospel partnerships. And we should plan to do the same. I've said it here a lot. I'm going to continue to say it. Plan to find fridge friends here. It's where you know someone well enough, you can go into their house and raid their fridge without it being weird. Right? You don't have to have that with everyone, but plan to have a few of those relationships here. Plan to seek out partnerships in the gospel. Plan to need to be around other people regularly who are living prayerfully focused lives so that they can help you and you can help them live on track because we need each other. We cannot do it alone. Plan to seek out gospel partnerships. Also, how great is it that Paul says, I struggle. I love that. The Apostle Paul, he says, pray with me for my struggle. Paul struggled to live a prayerfully focused and planned life. Join me in my struggle, he says. Church, this is and will be a struggle. It is and will be a struggle, and that is why we need to pray. Don't just plan. Cover your plans in prayer. And then, watch. Watch as the Lord directs your steps daily in a way that allows you to live an eternally meaningful, joy-filled, fruit-filled life for Him. Now, 
That's nice, right? A lot of P's, a lot of uh, alliteration there in that. It just sounds real nice on paper, doesn't it? In a sermon? Practical plan, plan this way, plan that way. Okay, I want to flush this out for you with one example, one hypothetical, and I'm going to use parenting. I'm going to use parenting to work out why this is so insanely important that we commit to live a prayerful, planned life and we plan to do all of those things that I've said. As a parent, if you roll on autopilot in regards to your faith, your faith and your children's faith are in trouble. As a parent, your primary objective, the target, what you're aiming at, is to help your child not just become a productive member of a society who gets a scholarship and a good job and the White House and a nice house with a picket fence and a dog and the American dream. Your job as a parent is not to just make good Americans. Your job as a parent is to help your child become a productive member in the family business of Jesus Christ. We need to, we have to commit to raise our children so that they know how to prioritize their lives, to know and love Jesus, to train them up, to prayerfully plan and focus their life, to live on mission for Christ no matter what else comes. So that they can enjoy life. So that they can live a life that matters in eternity. The problem for us parents is that everything in our world is fighting against this. This one aim for us. Everything in our world is stacked up against us. We're told we have to think about their schooling and their academics first. We're told that we have to make sure that we do all of these other things. And then we throw TV, TV, social media, and all of the other extracurriculars on top of it. Extracurriculars of every kind are constantly vying for their time and their attention. The worries and cares of this life are ever bearing down on us and on them to the point that if you and I as parents just cruise on autopilot, just go with the flow of culture, decisions that you should be making for your children... Decisions that you should be making for your children to help shape their priorities and their purpose in this life. Those decisions you should be making will be made for you by our world. I'm not angry, church, but I cannot stress how vitally this is important this is. And I've got a vested interest. I know how hard it is. I got four kids. And tiny decisions, whether or not little L should contribute and be a part of gymnastics or not, are eternally significant. That should be prayed over. And I'm not saying she should or shouldn't. I'm just saying we cannot be on autopilot and just go and say, well, we're doing it, so I guess we're doing it. No, prayerfully make every decision for your kids so that we're helping them live for eternity not just the here and now. This is our job. It's our job to show them. It's our job to help them prioritize. And they don't know what they need, church. I know our culture is saying, you got to listen to little Johnny. You got to let them know. A four-year-old does not know what he or she needs. They don't know yet. That is your job. You don't have to tell them what to believe. You don't. 
But here's my recommendation. Little child, if you're in my house, here's what's important. Here are the things we are going to be involved in no matter what. We're going to be at church regularly. We're going to be in youth group regularly. We're going to be at VBS and say no to some of the other things that are good things, but just for a week because I want you to know Jesus more than I want you to be able to hit a baseball. And church, again, I'm not angry and I'm not shaming anyone this morning. Many of our parents are doing so good at this. All I'm saying is, as you plan, as you shape how you're raising your children, think about eternity. Think about eternity. There is a place for baseball, amen, and football and basketball and 4-H and all of it, 100%. There is. It's vital that we're out in the world loving people and rubbing shoulders with the lost and redeeming that time as we do so. We should, 100%. All I'm saying is that don't go on autopilot to the point that our world and our culture is shaping your kids' priorities more than you are as a follower of Jesus. And here's why I'm so passionate about this. When you get to the end of your life, when I get to the end of my life, when your children and our world's children get to the end of their life, they are all, we are all going to meet Jesus. And the only thing that's going to matter at the end is whether or not you and I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you think we should plan our lives in such a way to hear those beautiful words. Just like Paul. Just like Jesus. And you can. Jesus wants this for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves your kids. He wants them to enjoy life and to be a part of all the extracurriculars, but he wants more than anything for them to know him and for them to learn to plan and live their lives in a way that they experience eternity. Looking back and saying, I'm so glad my mom and dad showed me what truly mattered in this life. I'm so, mo- I'm so glad my mom and dad helped me understand that the most important thing is for me to take my gifts and my passions and use them to expand the kingdom. I'm so glad my mom and dad made me do some things I didn't want to do. Many of you are doing this. Let's all commit to do it together. Let's all pray for one another because it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Let's pray and the band can come up. Lord Jesus, I pray that your heart comes through in this. I know how difficult it is. What I just said, I know it's hard, Lord. And I'm not angry and you're not angry, but you love us. And I know how easy, I know how easy it is personally just to go on autopilot, to drift in the cultural river that exists. And and Lord, before I know it, me and my family are taken downstream so much farther than I ever wanted to be. I know how easy it is to be taken downstream. So Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help us to throw out our anchor into that cultural stream. That you would help all of us to strap on the old Briggs and Stratton motorboat engine, Lord, and, and to get a plan and focused and to point that thing upstream towards you 
and to put our foot on the gas and, and go full throttle towards you in every and anything that you've called us into. Lord Jesus, for the parents in here this morning, would you help all of us pray through every decision? Lord, I thank you that there's not a rule list that you say, always say no to baseball. Or always say no to gymnastics. No, you say, in every decision, invite me into the conversation and I will help you decide whether or not that is something that needs to be done right now, later, or never. And sometimes, Lord, when you have us on mission, you might say, absolutely, little, little Johnny needs to be in baseball because I've got families that, that you need to be talking to and kids that he needs to be meeting and you're going to take my kingdom onto that baseball team. I don't know, Lord, but just help us not to, not to just do these things without thinking. Help us to do them in a prayerful, planned way. Thank you for the verse in Proverbs. A, man, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Lord Jesus, help us plan our way in you. Be faithful to direct any and all of our steps so that we might live lives that are joy-filled, that are fruit-filled, that are eternally meaningful. I want to hear. We all want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. May it be for every single one of us in this room, for your glory.